0: The following podcast contains strong language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Kjære ma, no my, heide myke fem fucking tastic, a one-woman book club where I, Tori, your host, read mostly fantasy novels with female protagonists, and then discuss my thoughts and feelings on said character. So. I'm not drinking this episode, so no fun beverage to discuss. But uh, this episode might be a little bit messy because I wrote it way back in March when we here in Aotearoa, New Zealand were in full lockdown, and I haven't reread the notes since. So we're just gonna Ron Burgundy that shit and fucking do it live. So let's crack on with the show. This time we are talking about uh, woman, The Woman Who Rides Like a Man by Tamara Pierce. It was originally published in 1986 and is the third book in the Song of the Lioness Quartet. Um, if you haven't either read the first two books or listened to the first two episodes, I would strongly recommend doing so. Um, otherwise, if you're already familiar with the content, then don't worry about it. Uh, so this one... This book picks up in pretty much immediately where we left off um, with In the Hand of the Goddess, the second book, second episode. So she's Alana, our heroine. Has uh, she's She's got her knighthood. She uh, <laughs> defeated her arch nemesis Roger in a trial by combat and was outed as a woman all uh, at the same time. And now she's she's left court. She's going on some adventures to basically, I mean, live her life. Really, um, figure out what to do with herself now that she's kind of achieved her life goal, really. Um, and also to give some space to uh, everyone at court because obviously, you know, big scandal. <laughs> oh my God, she's a woman! How terrible! And uh, it's not really feeling like that's a good place for her to be right now. So, her and Corum are off. Uh, on an adventure, they are riding south, going somewhere warm, currently in the desert. And we start with Alana reflecting on basically on just how glad she is to no longer be hiding her identity, which is a really nice moment. Uh, oh, this <laughs> some of these notes are uh, Clearly, I wrote these notes before I found out that before it was announced that Alana's actually non-binary. so this is um this is very interesting reading. So these are not super relevant notes. That's fine. Um, oh, okay. We'll skip ahead a little bit. So, part of her reflections, right? Uh, she's yeah, you know, she's she's just you know talking about how like you know all the stuff that she just doesn't have to worry anymore, worry about anymore. She can just she doesn't have to wear a chest binder. She doesn't have to do fucking whatever with her hair. She doesn't have to change her voice anymore. She can just be herself. And an interesting thing that she hasn't realized is that. She, what she's done is is so much bigger than she realizes, right? She's effectively beaten the system. She's now in a position to not only live her life completely on her own terms, but change the system, fucking break the wheel and make it better for other girls to come after. And I mean, it's not surprising that she hasn't realized that, but you know, it's kind of, it's hard not to see it like as the reader, you know? Oh, so they're riding along uh, and they're attacked by some hillmen, and her beloved sword lightning is destroyed in the kerfuffle by this weird crystal sword that gives her uh, the willies. And uh, you know they're they're holding their own, but then the hillmen are driven off by some Bajir archers. And if we remember from before, the Bugier are the people, the tribes people who live in the in the desert in the south of Tortal. Well, it's saying that it's part of Tortal is maybe a bit of a stretch. The Bajir don't see it that way. But, you know, colonization. <laughs> so anyway, the Hillmen are driven off, and Alana has a vision in the aftermath, which is not super weird. This kind of thing has happened before. And um, a man kicks over, uh, like a man from the from the Bajir, he comes over and he kicks some sand over the crystal sword, which was dropped, saying that it's evil and the desert should keep it. Uh, it turns out that Alana and Corum are trespassing on these people's territories. Surprise, surprise. There's some discussion as to what to do with them. And one of the men recognizes Alana from when she was in Persepolis. That was back in book slash episode one when she fought those, uh, the nameless ones. And so because, you know, because there's like, oh, okay, she's actually a person. She's this like mythical white savior lady. Um, they're invited to come and share the tribe's fire for the night. And this is the first time that she's ever addressed as the woman who rides like a man. Hey, it's the title of the book. So <laughs> they go back uh, with these people, and there are three youths who are assigned to attend to Alana and Coram. It's Kara, Coram, and Ishak. And we will get to know them much better. The evening comes, and it's time for alana and quorum to be judged by the tribe so they're on their way there and ishak tries to show alana some magic he's like i can do some magic like you uh but she gets really shitty and is just like fuck out of here with that magic only leads to pain and death so she's having some some regression in that aspect of her life and in accepting her magic as being a part of who she is uh, so they, they sit down, the headman allows every man to speak on what they think Alana and Quorum's fate should be. Apparently sometimes the women get to be involved, but not this time. Um, so eventually everyone agrees that since Alana dresses, bears weapons, and goes unveiled as a man, <clears throat> then she should be tried as one. And of course that means a trial by combat. Because what the fuck else would that mean? Uh, this is pretty. I mean, this is this is very soon after her last trial by combat. I mean, it's literally how the last book ended, and we're starting this next part of her life in the same way. So this is bringing up a lot of a lot of feelings and some trauma for Alana, and so she agrees, but insists that she's not going to kill her opponent unless it is absolutely unavoidable. And, of course, she manages to avoid killing her opponent, because, I mean, that would be a terrible way to start the book if she couldn't do that, um, given how the last one ended. So uh, they're, they're accepted into the tribe, they're immediately initiated, and this seems to be good enough for most folks. And then they have a big old party into the wee hours. Um, she kind of rolls into her tent as the sun comes up. Um, but a little while later in the morning, the the two girls that we met before, Kara and Karim, they come to see Alana, and she tells them her story, and they tell her theirs. So they're they're orphans who also have some of the gift, and their their tribe's shaman wants to cast them out into the desert. And speak of the devil, said shaman has now come to confront Alana. And is wearing the crystal sword, the creepy sword that we she saw the day before. So she recognises the, it's got like a jewelled hilt. And she recognises the design on it, realises that it looks very similar to Roger's uh, wizard's rod thing. Uh, and so she kind of like, quite reasonably has a bit of a panic. You know, she's just gone through this big ordeal of exposing this man who uh, pretty much everybody at court loves executing him and being out at all at the same time you know that again and and now it feels like you know she's she's seeing this thing that he's probably made it looks very similar to something he made and you know she's feeling like uh, she's never going to escape him right she just (laughs) she can't get past this she she feels like she's never going to be free of his ghost effectively uh, so it turns out that the the voice of the tribes is coming to visit. So this whole issue with the shaman hating her um, is going to be sorted out soon, anyway. And that voice turns out to be Ali Mokhtar from Book One, if we remember. He was the guy who liked cats or something. Um, and and he's got oh, it says like he's got some hot takes to lay down for Alana on page. Okay, um, hang on, let me just find that page. See, this is what happens when you don't reread your notes before you record, Tori. Okay, okay. Here we go. I've got the page. Fuck, I didn't highlight which, <laughs> what the passage was. Okay. Uh, okay. 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 I think this is. I think this is probably the part that I wanted to talk about. So the voice says to Alana, "You are a terrifying creature." The voice told her solemnly. You do not take your place in your father's tent, letting men make your decisions. You ride as a man, you fight as a man, and you think as a man. I think as a human being, she retorted hotly. Men don't think any differently from women, they just make more noise about being able to. As Coram chuckled, Muktab said, Have you not discovered that when people, men and women, find a woman who acts intelligently, they say she acts like a man? Alana could find no answer to this. She glared at the guffawing Coram. Many of those who take the shaman's leadership are women, Muktab went on. You frighten them. You are too new. You are too different. Will they have to behave differently now that you are of the tribe? Better that you die and become a legend. Legends force no one to change. So there are a couple things in there that kind of jumped out to me. The main one being that whole... the the women not accepting her and because, because she's new and she's different and she kind of, they perceive her as like a threat to their place in the world and the way that they do things. And it kind of just reminded me of, I think it's, it sort of goes a little, a little bit of the way towards explaining why some women vote conservative and vote for, horrible horrible men (laughs) who have these regressive awful policies it's i mean it's a little bit of that whole like pick me thing where it's like oh you know i i support you and i believe in what you're doing so please don't take my rights away because i'm voting for you and i support what you're doing and, and that sort of thing but also this this fear of of other of not knowing what this person is and what they represent not being familiar with that and seeing that as a threat to your own values and being like, oh shit, do I, but I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to be that person. Am I going to have to change? And to be fair, some of those people absolutely should change. Fuck conservatives all the way off. Um, <laughs> But it. I think it's a similar kind of thing, like not knowing, not knowing, uh, I mean, the unknown, right? I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not explaining it very well, but yeah, she just, she re- she represents this, Something new and unknown and that freaks people out and people often don't react well to that sort of thing, you know? So he's brought uh, his, Ali Muktab, the, the voice of the tribes, has brought a, a written Bajir history for Jonathan because apparently he needs to become the next voice because Ali Muktab is dying. So Korum leaves to go and get Jonathan and bring him to the voice, obviously, because he's unwell. He's not. He can't really travel, and it would be better for Jonathan to be learning among the people that he's supposedly going, supposed to be leading. Um, Alana tries to mend lightning. Nothing works because you know, of course, can't be easy. She goes to the shaman to try and make peace and advocate for her little shadows that have started following her around, and he just straight up attacks her like several times. And they fight, and he dies. So (laughs) Alana is now obliged to take over as the village, uh, the tribe, shaman, until she can find or train a replacement. She's pretty unhappy about this situation, because it now means that she's tied there and can't continue her adventures, which is like the whole thing that she wanted to do was just go on adventures. So she decides to train all three of the young people, Kara and Ishak, because like obviously that makes sense. There are three gifted people, so why would you not train all of them? The girls being shamans is new for this tribe, but um, you know, Alana's female, so whatevs. And there's a oh, what is this? What is the? Oh my god, I can't even read my own fucking notes. Oh yeah, right, okay. So this is kind of yeah. This whole like teaching magic is it's kind of a thing because the whole what happened with Roger? Like I mentioned before, it's you know it's caused this huge step backwards in her relationship with her magic. Um, but she does she knows that ignoring it is also a bad idea because you know, otherwise you lose control. and especially for her young students, if they don't learn to control their magic now, then it could be disastrous for for themselves and everyone around them. So she starts to teach them. And it is immediately clear that Eshark has a fucking attitude problem classic so alana goes to the headman to advocate for her students you know they're they're gonna be leaders amongst the tribe in the very near future so especially the girls they really need they need someone to back them so she goes and she says you know i want them to sit with me at the fire with the rest of the tribe and initially like the men seem to accept it weirdly uh but not the women, and I think again that's just that whole no longer knowing what their place is. Like everything that they've known is up in the air and being challenged. And so, you know, <laughs> like what the fuck are we supposed to do? How do we how do we go along with this? But um, I do find it interesting that um, in this case the men aren't going through that same sort of. Uh, crisis or dilemma whatever they're not having that whole our positions being threatened because now there are young girls sitting at the at the table so what does this mean for our position um yeah so that's kind of i yeah i don't really get why that is but but that seems to be what's happening here and yeah kareem explains that the women believe she and kara have forgotten their place by sitting with the men. And again, it's kind of weird that the men don't feel like the girls have forgotten their place by sitting with them. Um, but, you know, we'll just, we'll blow past that. I, because I can't think of a reason why why that would be. Um, Kareem offers to teach Alana weaving. Because uh, it's something that she enjoys and Alana's like, eh, you know, start learning something new. And the shark comes in with... The classic disparaging male bullshit about women's work being pointless and why would you want to do that when you can do manly stuff like magic and fighting and. <laughs> so Alana puts him in his fucking place and makes him apologise to the girls. <laughs> and she, says, she makes a pretty good point actually. She says, What's more important than the clothes I wear? Like, hi. <laughs> and he's just like, Oh, but. Uh, uh. It's just like yeah, so you know this is women's work, but you benefit from that work every single day. These women are your equals, you know. You you all have magic. You are all learning the same stuff, and they are your peers. You are all going to be shamans. So, sit the fuck down, buddy. They they all they all start learning thread magic, which is a little bit cute. So Alana starts learning weaving, and uh, a woman from the village overhears and is like this is terrible, you need to learn from someone who actually knows how to teach and is actually, like, really good at this. So she offers to take over Alana's instruction, which is really nice. And that sort of helps bring in other women from the tribe, now that that sort of, like, little barrier's been broken, they've they've crossed the line and being like, oh, okay, actually, you know, well, we can interact and stuff. And, and that, that brings a lot more of the women of the tribe round to accepting Alana and her students. It just takes that one person, you know? <laughs> it just takes one person to go, hey... We can you know we can see eye to eye on this, you know we can we can get along, <laughs> so quorum returns and gets predictably very upset about all the changes that Alana's been causing, like she knows she knows that she's a legend to these people effectively because of what she did years ago, and it's while it's not something that she's comfortable with, she knows it's true and that she knows that that's going to be to her advantage when she starts making changes and you know that brings up a whole lot of questions around like interfering with cultures that aren't yours and you know disagreeing on the way that certain things are done but at what point are you crossing a line and you know just because you don't understand the way people do something doesn't make it immediately wrong necessarily and it's you know, in in her case, you know, it seems like she's making good changes and stuff, but it's, you still have to ask the question, right? Like, just because we see things a certain way, you know, doesn't give you the right to go in to, you know, and tell someone else how to do things. I mean, it's, it's, it's colonization, right? It's just, (laughs) you know, I, I, I'm not going to get into that too hard because otherwise I'll just end up raging about colonization for six hours. (laughs) Um, but uh but this and this kind of is just like another example of of how much quorum cares for alana he says that he hates seeing her a stranger always but she insists that she doesn't feel out of place there even though she is super different from them like every everywhere that she is and has been throughout her life she's always just a little bit different like she never quite fits in uh so quorum has he's brought letters from everyone Back home, and Jonathan will be arriving soon. Uh, more of yeah, we already went over that. More of the women have begun to accept Alana. Uh, the, uh, the village comes under attack while the men are out hunting, and this is like the first test for Alana's students. Um, they do they do pretty well. They don't buckle under the pressure. No one dies, and there's very few injuries. Um, but of course, as per usual, Alana does too much, and passes out she just you know drains herself effectively like literally literal burnout uh so the girls wake her up they just let her sleep everyone puts her to bed and just lets her rest um but the girls wake her in the night because ishak has stolen her the freaky deaky crystal sword she goes out and finds him and he says that she doesn't deserve it and he tries to kill her she shields it reflects his magical attack back at him, which just completely destroys him. Like, entirely. He's like, he's just a little pile of ash when she, when she goes and finds him. Which, I mean, I hate to say it, but good riddance. That dude was never going to learn, let's be real. So, out of the blue, um, other Bajir shamans start turning up to, to teach and to learn. And Ali Muktab points out to Alana that she's already achieved more than most shamans do in their entire life. You know, I mean, and and that was true before she was a shaman already. She's achieved more than most people do in their life. But now, you know, she's just taking on even more. And is just, She, she is a catalyst for change, basically. Um. So Jonathan and Miles arrive. Yay! Jonathan proposes to Alana and it does not go well at all. Jonathan's arrogance is really coming into its own at this point, and he just assumes that her yes is a given. And we we kind of know this already. Like smug git is just it's his thing at this point, and it, it's probably just goes with the territory of being a prince. Uh, so you know, Alana is concerned about his motives for proposing, and rightly so. She is worried. She knows that going back as his betrothed would mean giving up everything that she's worked for. It would mean giving up her personal freedom and everything that she wants out of life. And she's still trying to figure out what he, what that even is. She's still trying to figure out who she is and what she wants her life to look like beyond just adventuring, which she wouldn't be able to do as, as his betrothed. Uh, so he agrees to give her a little bit of time to think about it but he, he's obviously just being a smug git about it. So Alana talks to Miles and, and he has this little, this little nugget of wisdom for her, which I really liked. He says, you're brave to admit that you don't know everything and then do something about it, which is something that I feel like we can all take to heart, you know, just learn to admit when we don't know things and then actually take the next step and do something about it instead of just being like, well, I don't know. <clears throat> But the the general, like, meat of the conversation that she's having is that Miles wants to formally adopt her. Uh, She'll need money to fund her travelling lifestyle, and Miles has no heirs, and he needs someone who knows how to manage an estate. Um, Also, he's been a better father figure to Alana than her actual father ever was anyway. So, I mean, it kind of just works out well for everyone. Um, It's weird. I've written here Alana learns that the voice is dying but I feel like I already said that. So I can't remember if she already knew that or if we knew that and she didn't. But anyway, um, he doesn't have time to teach Jonathan everything that he needs to know to take over as the voice. Okay. My notes are weird. Whatever. He doesn't have time. He's trying to teach Jonathan everything he needs to take over. And it just, it's all like the timeline is just a very touch and go. Um, And so because this is happening, um, that like this is a big deal. Like the voice is their like king is not a great word. He's kind of like their the a mediator for all of the Bajir tribes. Like no one can war against them, which is why this guy wants Jonathan to be the voice because it would bring the Bajir into the Kingdom of total peacefully, um, and end a whole lot of fighting. Uh, but yeah, he's not. A ruler as such is more of a, yeah, more of a mediator. Um, So all these Bajir, headmen and important people start turning up to see this new guy who's supposed to be taking over and naturally a lot of them are not keen. Alana has like a little bit of a fight with Jonathan because he's being an arrogant twat and now Alana's like, she's really seeing that properly for the first time and she's like, oh my God, you're kind of an ugly person um but anyway jonathan is challenged to to the trial by combat basically to be accepted by the Bajir, just like alana was and of course he succeeds and kind of to alana's surprise it's because he's learned some new tricks like some new combat tricks and she's a little bit jealous because she wants to know <laughs> you know obviously she's always she's always trying to improve her game right like she wants she wants the new stuff but he's not welcomed in the same way that she was like, you know, they had that huge party when she arrived, when she was welcomed and and he doesn't get that same thing. Uh, Her time gradually becomes more and more occupied, treating the voice, uh, learning all about Miles's barony and teaching her students as well as studying more with the visiting shamans. She's just, there's a lot going on in, in her life right now. And she she talks to miles again about um about Jonathan's proposal and you can kind of tell that she's pretty much already made her decision like she knows what she has to do she just hasn't really she hasn't really accepted it and come to terms with with the fact that she needs to say no cut ties now and just end it uh so another great little nugget that that came out of that discussion that i've kind of applied to my own life and have passed on to others like friends and stuff, and we've, you know, talked about like things to decide in your life. Is that no can always be changed to yes. But it's very hard to change yes to a no. I'm pretty sure everyone has had one of those moments in their life where, you know, you've gotta like it's a yes or no. Like some things really are that that binary. And, you know, you can you can you can change. No, no is usually easier to change to a yes. But, you know, it's true that once you commit to something and say yes, that means that you start making plans and things start getting set in motion. And once that wheel's moving, it's a lot harder to stop it. And that's that's probably one of my favorite little things that I've that I've taken out of these books. Uh, so they settle on a date for her students to be initiated as shaman and pass on the leadership of her school, basically, with all these shamans turning up and stuff, she's started this kind of informal school and she she can't stay forever right, like it's just partly not part of her plan, but also, yeah she, she has other responsibilities now she's going to have to take over this barony at some point, so she yeah she needs to hand over the torch to someone uh, Miles adopts Alana there is much happiness uh, seven men miswitness the adoption which is another point where Alana comes in and challenges custom as Per, insisting that Kara and Kareem act as witness since they're to take over as shamans. The tribe needs to acknowledge their authority, basically. And, and this is a point where I agree, and her, cha- her changes are good, I think. Uh, and she realized that she now has a father who loves her, which is so sweet. And that's another life lesson that you choose your family, right? You do. Most, like, it seems simple to me. <laughs> I know plenty of people who struggle with that concept. Uh, so, Alana and Jonathan are, are chatting. Jonathan believes that Roger did create the crystal sword that Alana's been working with um, and trying to master. And that kind of explains why she's been having a bit of a struggle with it. And then he drops this fucking shitty ass bombshell and he, he just assumes that. Alana's going to go off her birth control once they're married. And, like, what a fucking twat, right? Because she hasn't even said yes. And he's like, you're going to give me babies. she's like, loses her shit Uh, quite reasonably, I think. I think she's completely justified in that regard. And then it's time for Kara and Kareem to do their rite of shamans. And, of course, they nail it. And Alana hands over her duties to them. That kind of frees up like a bunch of her time. Um, She has, she has a big old D and M with Miles about what it would mean if she were to marry Jonathan, uh, which we've kind of already been over. And she she comes to the conclusion then that that she can't do it. You know, she'd she'd have to give up way too much of herself and the things that make her happy. And you know, you got to take care of number one first. So we come to Jonathan's ordeal. Like, she, yeah, she has this conversation, like, right before his ordeal, pretty much. So he, he passes the test and becomes the voice of the tribes. But, unfortunately, Ali Muktab dies in the process, um, which kind of has some white saviorism vibes, and it's a bit ick, but we'll carry on. <laughs> um, uh, Alana finds out the next day, like, straight after that whole ordeal, that uh, Jonathan and Miles are getting ready to leave, and people have been told to pack all her stuff. So she flips out at Jonathan, and they have a straight-up crazy bitch fight. They break up, and Jonathan and Miles go home. Very sad. We're going to just, we're going to gloss over that. She, <laughs> I mean, it's it's typical breakup stuff, right? Like, she's super sad, and she doesn't want to do anything, and what So he leaves, he goes home, uh, and his mum already has a princess ready to set him up with. And he's just like, great, awesome, rebound girl, cool. And Alana goes to Port Cain to go see George, because she's obviously super depressed and can't focus on anything to do with the tribe at the moment, which is totally fair. And she needs her friends, and she doesn't really have friends Within her tribe, she she has duties and obligations, and there's no one that she can really talk to about this kind of stuff. And also because it's and it's weird, right? Because Jonathan is is their voice of the tribes, and so it'd be kind of weird for her to be like having a bitch about her feelings about this guy who is like you know their their supreme judge, right? So she so she bails. She goes to hang out with George, um, and. And this time, things were a little bit different, right? Like, previously, her time with George was pretty limited because she had palace duties and she was still disguised as a boy. But now she's sort of free to be herself and she can freely dress as a woman if and when she wants to, etc., etc. And he gives her that space to, to do that and to explore her gender and, and how she expresses her identity and stuff. And that's it's just really, really cute and nice and healthy. So she has a bit of a rebound affair with George, but it's pretty chill. She's happier with him than she ever was with Jonathan, and I think a lot of that does just come down to she's at a point now where she can be herself, to explore what that is, and and she says that like that he loves every facet of her, right? Like she's warrior and woman and sorceress, and he treats her like a comrade and is someone special and precious and he's kind of just even though we had some little doubts about him in the beginning because like he kissed her without her being able to no consent with the kiss but he's gotten better and he's kind of partner goals at this point right like it's it's pretty awesome i at this by the time we get to this part of the story i am all for george love him so she's just you know she's just having a nice time Taking time for herself, and it's really great. Love that journey for her. Um, but she can sense something coming from the capital, and she can't see it by scrying. And her brother Tom isn't responding to her letters. And then on All Hallows, she gets completely wiped out by like sudden chronic fatigue. Like her powers get completely leached. There's a huge like magical explosion in the night. Like it's not an actual explosion, but anyone with magic, like. Feel this like shockwave go through them. Um, so she gets an apology, an apology letter the next day from Tom, <clears throat> delivered by George, uh, and she sends a super angry letter back. He sends another apology, and she decides to just let it go since there seems to be quote unquote no other ill effects of his All Hallows' experiments. And if that's not foreshadowing, I don't know what is. Right, events transpire causing Alana and George to part ways. Um, there's, like, an attempt on George's life, calling him back to chorus to sort things out, and she is not ready to go back with him. She's not ready to return and face Jonathan or the rest of court. Also, it's winter and she wants to be warm, so she goes back to the desert. Totally relatable. The, what? Okay, I've put in another reference here to a specific page. I don't know if I can be bothered, um, addressing that. It's, the the last chapter is really slow, and kind of boring, like the the. It's a weird. This book has a weird ending. It's very much just like exposition setting up for the next book. So it's a little bit. Bleh. But anyway, George goes back to the city. There's this guy who's trying to like take over his position. Oh, and it goes back to back to wait what? Um, okay, maybe I do need to check that page reference actually, because my notes are, are weird, and I I think we should just. Uh, Mm, I really should highlight like, the passages that I want to refer to. Uh... Okay. You know what? Oh, okay. Yeah, there's just like a little bit. Uh, she's talking to Halef, the the chief headman. And he says, and so you've discovered that you like your own sex. And she says, how can I not like other women? Alana inquired. Particularly after knowing Kara and Karim and Mari Farah and Fada. I don't feel nearly as odd about being female as I did before I came here and that I think that's just like a really a really nice little bit because and I and I wish that I had remembered this part like in like late teens early 20s because you know it's I mean of course I got sucked into like some shitty internalized misogynistic thought patterns And then, you know, that whole, like, "Mm, I'm not like other girls kind of mentality, right? But, like, I mean, obviously, of course, everyone's fucking different. Like, (laughs) this idea that, like, women are all a certain way and that, like, all men are a certain way. You know, it's just, it's really dumb. And I wish that I had remembered little passages like that. Like, just little reminders of, like, obviously everyone's different. You know? Duh. And, And that it's okay. And, like, this, you know, it's okay to explore your identity and you know, being comfortable with who you are is, is off on a journey, right? Yeah, that was that was a nice little bit. I'm glad I did look that up, actually. Um, so they're having a chat, and halef gives Alana, like, a side mission. He asks her to go and check on this friend of his. So she goes, she arrives at this village where this lady lives, just in time to see this woman um, about to be burned at the stake. So... Alana saves her, but she's already dying from internal injuries and she lasts just long enough to tell Alana that she already knows how to fix her sword and also, please take this envelope back to Halef. So Alana gives her a burial uh, just on the side of the road, fixes lightning, and now with her sword hole, she and Korum are like, nope, let's drop this back to Halef and then onwards to more adventures. And that's where it wraps up. Yeah, kind of a weird ending to that one. It just, yeah, it just sort of feels like a bit of a... Uh, it's very much a to-be-continued uh, type of ending. The next episode will be the final in Alana's Quartet. It's the Linus Rampant. is the next book-slash-episode. And it's the last time that we'll be... Well, no, it's it's not the last time that we're ever going to see Alana, because she does show up throughout the Tortile stories. But our time focusing on her will come to an end in the next episode. So read ahead or don't, whatever. But that's uh, that's what the next episode will be. I have some special thanks this week. Firstly, to Ben for giving me the shove I needed to get back into this. <laughs> and to Kate for leaving my first five-star review on iTunes. Uh, so that is a really helpful thing that you can do for me. Uh, you can go and leave me a review on iTunes. You can rate, review, subscribe, all the cool stuff because I am now on iTunes. Now that I have my cover art sorted, I'm on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play and Pocket Casts. If I'm not on your preferred platform, please let me know and I will sort that out. Cover art is by me. You can follow me on Twitter at femme underscore podcast f-e-m-m-e underscore p-o-d-c-a-s-t if you have r- book recommendations you can email me uh, at femfnpodcast at gmail.com it's all lowercase all one word f-e-m-m-e f-n podcast at gmail.com uh, at the moment <laughs> I'm doing everything myself Writing, production, editing, even the cover art is all by me. So if you'd like to support this little venture of mine, you can do so via my Patreon, which is now live. It's at—it's the same as the email address. So it's patreon.com forward slash Podcast. F-E-M-M-E-F-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Uh, F-E-M-M-E, so yeah, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. Bye.